Would the Eiffel Tower be a great investment? How long can you print money before getting caught? Today, we're going to be talking about Victor Lustig, the man who managed to sell the Eiffel Tower. Find out which national monuments not to buy on this week's episode of Well, That's Horrible. Well, 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 that's horrible. Welcome back to this week's installment of Well, That's Horrible. I am Reese, and with me is... Travis. That's right. We'll be telling you crazy stories, uh, and this one is about an unknown con man. Uh, but before we do that, I think we need to ponder the secrets of the universe. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. You know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Opinion. All right, everyone, welcome back. Uh, all right, so the question is, what would some fairy tales be like if they took place in the present and included modern technology and culture? I mean, a lot of the problems that they're facing wouldn't... I mean, if I'm, I really thought about this one. Okay. This one broke my brain a little bit. Okay. Because I, I got way too into, like, what fairy tales... I mean... Are you talking Hansel and Gretel? Because, I mean, Child Protective Services is fucking not a problem. They would step in. They would step in. Like, Quick modern culture. Modern culture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what first came to my mind was the, like, 90s uh, Romeo and Juliet. Right. You know? Romeo plus Juliet. Is that Come what on, it is? Please, Romeo yeah. plus? You would know. You would know. I only saw the cover. <laughs> please, who didn't go to Blockbuster and see that cover sitting on the shelf? But anyway. Right. Have you ever seen that movie? No. That movie's wild. Okay. Uh, so it's essentially just Romeo and Juliet in modern times. Right. Uh, and, I mean, it's just going to be, it's just, I just can't understand, uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say right now. <laughs> <laughs> Let me organize my thoughts a little okay. bit. Because <laughs> I really did think about this way too hard. <laughs> I don't know why this was like the whole last hour I'm sitting there. I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> so, so when I think fairy tales, yeah. I'm thinking Hansel and Gretel. Right. Uh, I'm thinking... Uh, I mean, what other fairy tales are there even? Like, that's the only one. That's, that's the, the only, one? yep, the only fairy tale that exists. <laughs> I just can't no, I mean, think of any fairy tales besides Hansel and Gretel. Cinderella? <laughs> is that a fairy tale or is that a Disney movie? I think the Disney movie was based on the fairy tale. Like, where does it stop? Like, where is the line on what is I, a fairy tale and what's just I think a Disney by movie? By and large, it was. If it was in the collective works of the Brothers Grimm. Okay. So that's, like Sleepy that's Hollow? Just a theory? Like Sleepy Hollow would be dope. Like That's true. So like a motorcycle riding like Headless dude, horseman? Headless dude that's just going around like motorcycle style or like a fucking Hell's Angel style with like chains, like Nick Cage. <laughs> we need. I mean, Nick that's Cage just Ghost Rider, role. right? I know. That's what I'm saying, though. Is we still need Nick Cage to play that role? Yeah, he will play. He plays any role, so he would for sure be up for it. Have you ever He's seen Nick Cage's son? No. 
His son is a metalhead. Oh, really? So his son is just a younger Nick Cage with like long black hair, like goth makeup, like nice. fucking full metalhead. <laughs> and it's just so funny seeing them out and about because their like relationship just seems so wholesome. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Nick Cage's son. Fucking That's fantastic. Just dark, like black metal. <laughs> fucking. <laughs> I mean, I, I can see that coming from Nick Cage. That, yeah. That checks I mean, out. Yeah. Yeah. You can't do that much coke, and no. <laughs> no. he did in the fucking eighties and nineties, yep. and not you know fuck up your kid a little bit, <laughs> just <laughs> just enough to make them interesting, like, turn them into metalheads. So fuck, that was hard for me. <laughs> so I'm thinking Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, right? So picture this: it's the middle of winter, snow everywhere, and this lady decides that. It's a great time to take a snowmobile out and and do some basic cross stitching right in the middle of a field, okay. And uh, <laughs> uh, the uh, battery powered heater in her gloves winds up giving out, and uh, because her hands are super cold, she winds up pricking her finger with the needle. Uh, and naturally, you know the the blood falling to the ground on the snow uh, makes her want a kid with white skin, red lips, and black hair. Like, that's the natural conclusion, obviously. Um, fortunately, though, she was able to find one on Amazon, and the <laughs> little girl was shipped overnight <laughs> and showed up at her doorstep. Um, she named the kid Snow White, but obviously, because that's a super stupid name and smacks a bit of white supremacy, uh, <laughs> the girl decided to change her name to Kylie. So... Uh, <laughs> The the mom dies of COVID like 10 minutes later. Like, she's out. <laughs> Just 10 minutes later yeah, dies of COVID. Yeah. That, I mean, that's what happens in every fairy tale is the mom dies. Like, right? Instantly. I mean, that's true. It's guaranteed. <laughs> uh, so anyway, there's a local large business, right? And the CEO of this business decided it was time for a new wife. So he gets married to a local beauty queen named Karen. <laughs> um, every morning when she would wake up and say, Alexa, who's super hot right now? And Alexa would be like, the forecast today will be 73 degrees. And Karen would go, no, Alexa, who's the hottest right now? And who's your manager? And Alexa would be like, oh, my bad. You're like the super duper hottest. And she was pretty stoked about this. As we all know, uh, Alexa can't lie. Um, a few uh, years in, Kylie has grown up and she's turned out to be an absolute 10. Karen wakes up one morning and asks Alexa who's the hottest. And Alexa's like, bro, I got some bad news for you. Kylie down the street is like crazy hot. So Karen gets super duper pissed and tells a local hunting guide to kidnap Kylie, take her out into the woods, murder her and cut out a few of her vital organs. Wouldn't Kylie be like 14 too? Like, if we're going based off Snow White, like, she's, like, crazy young. Yeah, in in the original, <laughs> it's really creepy. Yeah, so. Really, really creepy. I mean, what does that say about this uh, Alexa, I guess? I mean, Jeff Bezos, is he the one who's programming his standards of hotness? We have some concerns about <laughs> Alexa. Um, so uh, he's supposed to cut out her vital organs, right, and bring them back to Karen, as one does. This one does. Um, it turns out that he wasn't a complete <clears throat> psychopath, and he sets Kylie free in the woods. 
uh, an ethically raised pig comes over and the dude slices it open and removes the organs that Karen wanted. Um, anyway, you get the picture. I was I was honestly very tempted to just keep going and redo the whole story. But I was I wondering thought, how long. No, we, we don't need the entire really episode. shamed me with how prepared because I was not prepared despite lots of introspection. <laughs> Slight existential crises. You were just looking at the emptiness within. Yeah. I just I, was, I couldn't imagine it. <laughs> my imagination died along with my hopes and dreams. <laughs> so now that we've discussed fairy tales, let's talk about a con man. All aboard! Victor Lustig is born in 1890 in the Austria-Hungarian town of Hostin. It's a cute little town that was built surrounding a Baroque clock tower in an area that is now the Czech Republic. We don't know much about his childhood, but according to his own account, he is raised in a very poor environment and has to steal regularly to eat. At 19, Victor takes up gambling. He also manages to get a giant scar on the left side of his face after a jealous boyfriend catches his girlfriend and Victor together. Victor is actually fluent in several languages, and he decides that going after rich travelers is the best starting point for a life of crime. He also gets so skilled at, uh, at card tricks that by this time, he could make a deck of cards, quote, do everything but talk. Hmm. He starts booking passage on ocean liners going from France over to New York City. One of his favorite cons to begin with is uh, to pretend to be a musical producer looking for investors in an upcoming Broadway production. The plays, of course, do not exist. Uh, he quickly gains a reputation as a, quote, smoothie, someone who could con people without force of any kind. In fact, he is five foot seven and 140 pounds and uh, loves to mount butterflies. Um, but, uh, not in a sexual way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> as far as I know, I mean, there was no documentation saying that he didn't like to mount butterflies sexually. So you never know. I bet he did. Probably did. He seems like the type. <laughs> One of his favorite scams during this time is what he calls a Romanian money box. He strikes up conversations with wealthy travelers, and when the conversation shifts to the source of his apparent wealth at such a young age, he leans in slowly and quietly tells them about his money box. It's a small cedar box that has been made with complicated rollers and brass dials. Victor tells his intended victims that the box can copy banknotes using, quote, radium which at the time was still largely misunderstood. Hmm. So it was just kind of the buzzword of the time. Hmm. Uh, he sometimes brings in a wingman for these performances who goes by the name Dapper Dan Collins, who the New York Times described as a former circus lion tamer and death-defying bicycle rider. I mean, that's a cool resume to have, though. It is. I'm not like, sure how death-defying bicycle riding goes into the con business, but it can't hurt. You know, I mean, maybe you need to make a getaway across a uh, a balance <laughs> beam between two buildings. Ride the bike. I mean, it's go. much cooler than death-defying scooter rider. 
Like, how dare you attack me in such a personal way? For for those of you that don't know, I am the nerd that rides my electric scooter to work in the summers, and Travis is mocking me. Anyone who's listening to this, please attack him on social media. Uh, is that what we're doing now? Yep. All right, yeah. For it, like, all of our listeners, it's like mass of listeners. There's literally dozens of us. Literally dozens. Uh, at the end of each voyage, Victor reluctantly parts with his precious money box uh, for the meager sum of $10,000. Sometimes he even sells it for triple that amount. But Victor doesn't stick with just this shtick. He also runs fake horse racing schemes, fakes seizures during business meetings, and sells non-existent real estate. (laughs) I mean, I feel like if he was alive today, Mm -hmm. he would 100% be selling homeopathic remedies. (laughs) For sure. And something called a Tesla bed. (laughs) Right. (laughs) If you want to die a little bit inside, look it up. Uh, All of these shenanigans bring him to the attention of law enforcement on multiple continents, but also make him a millionaire. Because of how he carries himself and the way he dresses, people start to refer to him as Count. With World War II in full swing, transatlantic voyages are suspended, along with Victor's main source of income. Time to pivot. He decides to move to the U.S., especially because he's started to get a little too much unwanted attention from European law enforcement. One of his biggest cons before leaving the continent is in 1922. He brings in some bonds to a bank and offers to sell them. The bank shells out the money, and Victor manages to use sleight of hand to leave the bank with both the money and the bonds. Did you say it was during World War II or World War I? You're right. I wrote World War Two, but that would have been World War. No, nope, I w- wrote World War One and just misread it. World War One. World War One was in full swing. Stay yeah, with like, me for educational tips. I was like, those years don't add up. Yep. I don't know much, but uh, I know. Goodness. It's all right. It's, you only look slightly foolish. It's there, fine. There was Bill Clinton <laughs> fighting in the Civil War. <laughs> uh, okay, where were we? In the 1920s, America is absolutely flooded with a new form of con man. Americans knew to be wary of thugs and mobsters, but smooth-talking immigrants like Charles Ponzi, that's where we get the... Uh, um, Ponzi scheme from mm-hmm. were becoming more and more rampant. These people are out and out professionals who call their victims marks instead of suckers, and unlike the common criminals of the day, are gentlemen rather than thugs. In 1919, Victor marries a young woman from Kansas named Roberta Norrit. His daughter from the marriage recalls that he kept his family secret and separate from his criminal life. But he returns reluctantly to shower. But he returns regularly to shower his family with lavish gifts gained from his cons. The rest of his money is spent on gambling and on his side piece, Billy May Scheibel, who is the owner of a million dollar prostitution racket. Hmm. So, quite the power couple. Right? Yeah. <laughs> there it is. In 1925, Victor moves back to Paris for a while. 
he stumbles across a newspaper article that discusses the problems facing the maintenance of the Eiffel Tower, which gives him an aha moment for his next racket. I was curious to see how deadly the construction of the Eiffel Tower had been, uh, assuming that it would be super bad, but turns out only one person in the entire build wound up dying Hmm. during the entire thing. But now it's time for a bit of an ADHD rabbit hole. (laughs) Um, I checked for the construction projects that claimed the most lives out of sheer curiosity And it turns out that the Panama Canal was by far the deadliest per capita. Really? More than the Great Wall of China? That's at least what a couple articles I read said. (laughs) Sorry. I mean, people weren't weren't purposefully killed. People weren't purposefully killed. I don't know if anyone was purposefully killed on the Great Wall of China. Was that super deadly when it was built? I think so. I didn't know that. Great, now I'm going to have to research more things tonight because I won't be able to let it go. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm pretty sure there's a bunch of people that got buried along the Great Wall of China, like underneath of it. On purpose? Yeah, I mean, they died while making it, but okay. yeah, some of it was on purpose. Okay, so apparently during its construction, between yellow fever, malnutrition, horrible living conditions, and limited safety... Out of every 1,000 people who worked on the canal, 408 died as a result of the environment as a whole. That is quite... (laughs) horrifying. That means that if you took a job digging the canal, it was almost a coin toss of whether or not you were going to make it out the other side alive. It is insane. I mean, if you think of all the money that goes through that canal... yeah. And you think of how much money was lost and how much things kind of came to a standstill when that chip got wedged. Uh-huh. I mean, you could, I mean, our society and capitalism is built on those bodies, literally. So, True. <laughs> not to get deep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that just comes to mind. You guys didn't know like, we were going political, did you? <laughs> well, it wasn't. It's true. Yeah, it's yeah. literally built upon mm-hmm. bodies. Uh, okay, so back to our main story. Victor decides that he's ready to con in the big leagues. He heads back to Paris, where he commissions stationery, which is stamped with the official French government seal. Next, he arrives at the Hotel de Crillon, essentially a stone palace. From this base of operations, Victor, claiming to be a government official, writes to top executives in the French scrap metal industry and invites them for a meeting in the hotel. Once in the meeting room, Victor tells them, Because of engineering faults, costly repairs, and political problems I cannot discuss, the tearing down of the Eiffel Tower has become mandatory. He informs the room that the tower is going to be sold to the highest bidder, He even takes each of his marks for a limo tour of the tower in order to get a better feel for which mark to hit. Andre Poisson is fairly new to the city and is desperate to grow his scrap metal business. Once Victor knows that Poisson is on the hook, he starts to reel him in. He informs Poisson that as a public official, he doesn't earn much money, and this was a very big decision. Poisson picks up what Victor is putting down. Especially at the time, bribes are very common amongst government workers in France, and uh, Poisson has been in Paris long enough to know that. I don't know a lot about French politics, but 
I'm pretty sure it's still pretty common. <laughs> yeah, I, that's the impression I get. There's a good amount of civil unrest <laughs> within yeah. France. Yeah, I have no doubt that it's still happening. Uh, he offers Victor $20,000 cash plus an additional $50,000 if Victor could make sure he had the winning bid. Victor disappears into the night with $70,000 and flees to Austria. He waits to see his name in the crime reports from back home, but nothing ever actually happens. Turns out Poisson apparently is too embarrassed by being taken for that much money, and he never reports it to a single person. <laughs> Just takes the hit and keeps going. I feel that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like when you slip on ice and you take fucking the spill and you're fucking, yep. nobody saw that. Mm-hmm. Nope, nope, uh, that did not happen. What's even worse is when you slip and, like, your shin runs into... Uh, a toe hitch or something and you just, <laughs> oh shit, that hurts so much. And you don't, you're trying to hold it together, but you really want to just curl up and cry on the mm-hmm. ground. It's tough. I slipped this morning on the ice and uh, somebody saw me. <laughs> I didn't fall all uh-huh. the way, but I definitely like did a really long step. Yeah. And there was just some old guy sitting in his car and he just laughed at me. <laughs> I was like, that's good. Thanks. <laughs> I needed really that starting today. off the day right. <laughs> During this time, Victor even pens a list of rules for swindlers like him. They go as follows. Be a patient listener. It is not fast talking that gets a con man his coups. Never look bored. Wait for the other person to reveal any political opinions, then agree with them. Let the other person reveal religious views, then have the same ones. Hint at sex talk, but don't follow up unless the other fellow shows a strong interest. Now, I'm not sure if by that he means propositioning him or just, you know, a little vulgar talk. I'm I'm not sure what he intended there, but I think he means vulgar talk, but probably who knows? But you got to do what you got to do for the con. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not gay, but 20 bucks is 20 bucks. You know? (laughs) Wait, you were getting paid? (laughs) Uh, Never discuss illness unless some special concern is shown. Never pry into a person's personal circumstances. They'll tell you all you need to know eventually. Never boast. Just let your importance be quietly obvious. Never be untidy. Never get drunk. Honestly, I I feel like a decent chunk of those are just good life advice in general. I mean, yeah, it's just sales 101. It, is, it really is. <laughs> Maybe we, we should learn Need to do little. some training. Yeah. <laughs> We're bringing in Victor here. He's going to help us out. <laughs> so uh, like so many others who make a career out of conning people, greed begins the demise of Victor. In 1928, a businessman by the name of Thomas Kearns invites Victor to his home to discuss an investment. During this visit, Victor sneaks upstairs and takes $16,000 from the man's drawer. This is very out of character for Victor because there was no planning, and Kearns quickly alerts the police when he finds the money missing. A few days later, feeling confident, Victor manages to bamboozle a Texas sheriff with his money box scheme and then tries to pay for his silence with counterfeit cash. (laughs) my question is how did this sheriff report the crime okay captain i have to bring some criminal activity to your attention i recently tried to buy a machine that was supposed to counterfeit money 
Once I discovered that it was fake, I threatened to report him and even offered to take a bribe for my silence. But the little punk tried to pay me off with counterfeit money. <laughs> oh, so uh, was this part of a sting operation or? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally part of a legit sting operation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh. This con brings Victor's name. Oh, by the way, with those boxes, I forgot to put it in the notes, but what he would actually do is he would load that box up with like 10 uh, $100 bills mm. so that when he was showing it to people, he could push a button and turn a crank and $100 bills would start spitting out. Uh, this con brings Victor's name to the attention of the Secret Service. The Secret Service agent, Peter Rubano, a big guy with sad eyes and incredible ambition, takes on the case. <laughs> that is how he was described in two separate articles. Was how sad were his eyes? Like, what? F- <laughs> well, they described him as a fat man oh, with sad eyes. Fat man I decided with to, sad eyes. With sad eyes. I decided to go for big guy because I felt like that was a little less mean. Uh, is that how people describe me in the office? No. <laughs> He's the fat guy with sad, dead shark eyes. You have happy eyes. (laughs) (laughs) He's made his name already by taking down the infamous gangster Ignazio the Wolf Lupo. Rubano loves having his name in the news and decides he's going to devote whatever time and effort is necessary to take down Victor. Still unaware that the Secret Service is hunting him down, Victor joins forces with a well-known gangland forger named William Watts. Together, they create forfeit cash that fools even bank tellers. Joseph Bowling, an expert on authenticating banknotes, tells about the sheer volume of counterfeit $100 bills in circulation because of Victor. Keep in mind that, especially back then, $100 bills were heavily checked by banks to track forgeries. Um, Bowling is quoted as saying, Victor Watts' notes were the super notes of the era. He goes on to say that their $100 bills became like some other government issuing money in rivalry with the United States Treasury. It is actually feared that the influx of fake bills would cause instability in the world's confidence in the U.S. dollar. By this time, Victor is pumping out about $100,000 per month in phony cash. Goddamn. It's handed off to couriers who have no idea what they're carrying for him. His girlfriend, Billy, discovers that he's having an affair with his business partner's mistress. It's like three (laughs) degrees of separation. For some strange reason, she gets upset and uh, makes an anonymous phone call to the police to tell them that the Count is staying in New York. With the law hot on his tail, Victor begins traveling with a suitcase full of disguises. These include a rabbi, a priest, and a bellhop. No, I'm I'm not setting up a joke, I promise. Uh, <laughs> he dresses like a baggage man, which allows him to escape hotels quickly if the need arises. And this disguise actually even allows him to bring all his luggage with him without drawing suspicion. So if he needs to make a run for it, he would just load up a belt uh, hop cart with all of his luggage, put the costume on, and no one would think twice about him walking through the halls. Uh, but he can begin to feel the noose tightening around his neck. In 1935, while walking down the street in New York, Victor feels a tug on his collar. 
He is told to put his hands in the air and looks up to see himself surrounded by agents, all led by Agent Russo. All that led man by with sad eyes. Yep. All led by Agent Rubano. He's led away in handcuffs, and the agents celebrate their victory, but it does not last long. Victor is placed in an inescapable federal detention center in Manhattan, from which he promptly escapes. <laughs> he makes a rope from bed sheets, cuts through the bars of his cell, and swings from his window. When a group of passersby see him dangling, he grabs a rag from his pocket and pretends to be washing windows. Seriously, say what you will about this guy, but he could think on the fly. He was smooth. <laughs> yeah. Like, the dude has hustle. He does. <laughs> he lets go of the rope, lands on his feet, and gives the group of people watching a little bow, and then sprints off into the forest. <laughs> That's a story those people are going to be telling for their entire lives. Right? <laughs> or work. They're probably all dead now. But, uh, Most certainly, yeah. I mean, 31. That's his people. Yeah. Yeah. They're mostly dead. Yeah, but mostly. Some are alive. Mostly these dead people. <laughs> I mean, these people in particular died. But that guaranteed, was, that was because of me. <laughs> <laughs> you went back in time. <laughs> Victor manages to avoid the law for about four and a half months. Then, toward the end of 1935, he's found again in Pittsburgh. Victor jumps into a car, waiting for him at the curb. An FBI agent, G.K. Firestone, which, okay, come on, that is the most <laughs> badass FBI name ever. Like, yeah. He has he has to be able to grate fresh Parmesan with his beard. Like, that is just a man's man. <laughs> G.K. Firestone. That's right. Anyway. Like tire. <laughs> so Firestone gives a signal to Secret Service agent Fred Gruber, which is definitely the opposite end of the cool name <laughs> spectrum. Right. Uh, he gives it, no wonder, you know, GK Firestone was the boss. Mm -hmm. that, that just checks out. He gives him the signal to, cha to chase after the car. For nine blocks, they fly after each other, and the cars are inches apart. Victor's driver refuses to stop, and the agents ram the vehicle. Their wheels lock together, and both cars come to a screeching halt. The agents rush to pull their service revolvers and open Victor's car doors. According to the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, Victor says, Well, boys, here I am. <laughs> At his sentencing, a journalist overheard a Secret Service agent lean over and tell Victor, Count, you're the smoothest con man that ever lived. The moment he gets to Alcatraz Island, the guards check him for hidden razor blades or watch springs. Again, the article that I read, those are the only two things that they mentioned. <laughs> I feel like there would be more things you could sneak into prison than just razor blades or watch springs, but apparently those are the only those two. Those are the hot commodities, yep. apparently. At those least in the 1930s. To, I mean, this is, now we know, if you want to break out of prison, you know what two items you need. I need to keister a razor blade and a watch spring. <laughs> the old ham wallet. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to bring... Uh, I'm going to bring my smartwatch when I get sent to prison and be really disappointed that there are no <laughs> springs inside of it. <laughs> uh, per normal procedure, he is paraded past all the other cells with almost no clothing. He's provided only essentially a loincloth. And as part of his initiation, he is forced to act in several Greek tragedies in this attire. 
No, he is actually given <laughs> no clothes whatsoever and is walked down the hall to a chorus of howls, whistles, and banging metal cups. While incarcerated in Alcatraz, Victor's health takes a heavy hit. By 1946, he has made an unbelievable 1,192 medical requests and filled 507 prescriptions. Because of his history, the guards are understandably concerned that he is faking his illness to try and escape. They even find a torn bedsheet, the beginning of another homemade rope. A medical report is filed that states that Victor is, quote, inclined to magnify physical complaints and constantly complaining of real and imaginary ills. Eventually, he is transferred to a secure medical facility in Springfield, Missouri, where doctors finally realize that he has not actually been faking it this whole time. He soon dies from complications stemming from pneumonia. On his death certificate, the clerk wrote his occupation as apprentice salesman. So, <laughs> um, and this is another thing that I didn't put in the notes, but interestingly enough, there are a few people that have done deep, deep dives into this guy. There is actually no record that he was ever born, and they're fairly certain that wasn't his real name. When he was checked into Alcatraz, uh, he was checked in under a different name, but uh, there's no nothing to back up that that was a legal name. It might be one they just picked for him, but there there was no record whatsoever that he ever existed from square one. Just wild. Um, that was wild. <laughs> just yeah. off the grid. So, Travis, have you ever found a contraption that seemed super cool but wound up being disappointing? I mean, there's so many goddamn cooking contraptions that I've had over the years. Mm -hmm. They've just fallen flat. Like, I got a panini press. Okay. Super excited about yeah. it. I was like, yeah, this will be great. I love paninis. Right. Like, just trash. Like, just heat super unevenly. Doesn't yeah. work well. The D George Foreman grills. Yep. You ever actually try to eat a burger that was made on those? Just all the fat is just drained off. Yep. And you're like, ugh. Mm -hmm. Like, no, fat is flavor. I right. need that <laughs> grease in my arteries right now. Yep. So <laughs> yeah. The more grease you eat, the sooner you die. But, yeah, I, the the kitchen gadgets... There are some really cool ones out there, mm -hmm. but so many that are just disappointing. Yeah, for every Instant Pot, there's a dozen, like, Shaq Fu fucking pancake press or something. I don't Shaq know. Shaq Fu? <laughs> you know Shaq Fu? You don't know Shaq Fu? No. Man, Shaq Fu, like Shaq, Shaquille right, O'Neal. Right? You I'm aware of him. Yeah, he had Shaq Fu. Yeah, I had no idea. Oh, fuck. I would buy that. What is it? An instructional it's video? Shaq Fu? I don't fucking know. I, it's a reference I don't really understand, okay? I just know the reference. You don't have to call me out. I didn't expect to have to do a whole deposition on fucking Shaq Fu. A dissertation on Shaq Fu? <laughs> I don't have a thesis prepared Great. on here's Shaq another, Fu. Here's another thing I need to research all night. Um, so mine was actually... Uh, nuclear reactors. I, I hear <laughs> Just me a out. weird little gadget. Hear, hear me out. <laughs> when I was in late grade school, I uh, had to do a research paper on nuclear reactors. And the idea is amazing. Like you get all this energy and power from a nuclear reaction. And then once I finally started reading about it and discovered that it's just super fancy steam power, essentially, <laughs> I was so broken inside 
that this amazing technology was just making steam to turn a turbine. That's yeah. all it is. And I died a little bit inside. I mean, when I all found the that out. nuclear physicists. I don't know if that's a fucking real career. Even that's how dumb I am. Uh, I'm sure there are some. Are all of our fans that are nuclear physicists are turning over? Why would they turn over in their grave? In I don't fucking grave? know. They're pissed off. We broadcast into coffins. <laughs> you didn't know that that's how we gain listeners you know any of those any of those uh like instagram or facebook uh pages where they're like well oh, get ten thousand dollars or ten thousand followers right now they're dead they're, you know i'm sure they're picking dead people not bots dead people <laughs> okay so i think that's enough con talk for us um you got some good news for us i do have some good news Good news, everyone! Well, that's not so horrible. As of, they just did a study uh, between 1999 or 1991 and 2018 is when they did the study. Yeah. Uh, Cancer has dropped 33%. What? Which is over, they estimate that those third, that 33% is about 3.65 million people that have been saved wow. uh, from early treatment, uh, from uh, advances in how to treat. Okay. And then, uh, you know, there's things like the HPV vaccine, you know, right. which uh, they saw a 65% drop in uh, cervical cancer. Uh, 33%. That was the first part, right? Yeah, 33% of cancer overall. overall. There's about 600 ailments that they call cancer. Okay. Uh, and overall, there's been about a 33% de- decrease, but there has been an increase in some. So some types of cancers, you've seen an increase. Uh, you know, I'm sure that there's going to be other cancers that we're going to see an increase in as we find out more <laughs> consequences of mag- microplastics. I'm you know, sure it's going to be will. the net new lead. Yep. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's fucking great news. Like yeah, that's 33 fantastic. Between so 1991 so, and 2018. Wow. So was the drop in people that get cancer at all? Or was the drop in survival rates of people with cancer? Uh, the drop is between people who get cancer overall. Okay. Or uh, just people overall. The rates of cancer. Got it. Overall, <laughs> wow. something like that. No, that's huge, though. Right. That's I mean, absolutely insane. What I saw, what really was interesting to me was between 2002 and 2018, a 65% decrease after the HPV vaccine mm-hmm. uh, of cervical cancer. That's huge. 65% wow. decrease yeah. of the numbers of cases of uh, women having cervical cancer. That's insane. I mean, and I mean, there's more that they're doing and right. they're, they're trying to figure out more. Uh, I've, you know, there's in this article, they spoke about uh, potential uh, that they have kind of the seeds of a vaccine for prostate cancer, which is wow. like the biggest killer of men. So yeah. It's obviously not done. But. Right. Right. But I mean, just the fact that they are working on it mm-hmm. and have an angle to go for, that's huge. Mm-hmm. That's super, super cool. Um, okay. Well, thank you for the good news. And the other good news <laughs> is you may or may not have noticed, but Nick Nolte didn't show up in this episode. That that is I decided interesting. He needed a break. You know, um, <laughs> it was time for vacation. <laughs> uh, he, he wanted to go off and, uh, you know, party in downtown L.A. So I figured I said, Nick, 
go for it, old Nikki Poo, <laughs> and uh, we can do at least one episode without you. It's this okay. is a really weird way to come out of the schizophrenic closet. <laughs> 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 it's not that you're doing an impression. That's mm-hmm. just when Nick, Nolte, that is your, Nick. your other personality, kind of Nick. S- sneaks out every <laughs> once in a while. <laughs> Well, folks, that wraps up this week's episode of Well, That's Horrible. Please remember to keep sharing our posts from Instagram and Facebook and uh, sharing our episodes as well all over the place so we can spread the horrible. Come back next week when we talk about the death trap that was the Panama Canal. Mostly because I got wildly interested in it, and now I have a good excuse to spend a whole bunch of time researching it. Fair enough. (laughs) Remember to keep your money printer for yourself, and always remember to make the world a little less horrible. Well, 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 that's horrible. drowning in my own saliva.